Good morning. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or joining us online, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. I'm Chris Jimerson, co-lead minister for values and mission here at the church. My pronouns are he and him. I'm thrilled to also welcome our special guest this morning, the Reverend Sarah Green, who will be leading several aspects of our worship, including the sermon. We also have with us our always wonderful lay leader, Liz Nielsen. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'd especially like to welcome our visitors this morning. We're so glad you've joined us. If you've joined us online, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition I invite you to greet the holy among us this morning, either in the comments if you're online or by turning to those around you here in the sanctuary. Good morning. Um, as Chris said, I'm Liz Nielsen. I'm the lay leader today. And please join me in saying the words by which we light our chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Okay, our call to worship this morning is an excerpt from Evidence by Alexis Pauline Gums. Dear Lexi, breathe deep, baby girl. We won. Now life, though not exactly easier, is life all the time. Not chopped down into billable minutes, not narrowed into excuses to hurt and forget each other. I am writing you from the future to remind you to act on your belief, to live your life as a tribute to our victory and not as a stifling reaction to the past. I am here with so many people that you love and their children, and we are eating together, and we are tired from full days of working and loving, but never too tired to remember where we come from, never exhausted past passion and writing. So I am writing you now. Here in the future, we have no money. We have only the resources that we in our capitalist phase did not plunder to work with. But we have no scarcity. You can reassure Julia that we have plenty of technology. Technology is the brilliance of making something out of anything, of making what we need out of what we had, of aligning our spirits so everyone is on point so much of the time that when one of us falls off, get scared or caught up, the harmony of yes, 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 we are priceless brings them right back into tune with where they need to be. We have the world we deserve, and we acknowledge every day that we make it what it is. Everybody eats. Everybody knows how to grow agriculturally, spiritually, physically, and intellectually. No one owns anything or anybody or even uses anything like a tool. Each everything is an opportunity, and we are artists singing it into being with faith, compassion, confusion, breakthroughs, and support. 
It is on everyone's mind and heart how to best support the genius that surrounds us all, how to shepherd each of us into the brilliance we come from, even though our experience breaking each other apart through capitalism has left much healing to be done. We are more patient than we have ever been. And now that our time is divine and connected with everything, we have developed skills for how to recenter ourselves. We walk We drink tea. We are still when we need to be. No one is impatient with someone else's stillness. No one feels guilty for sitting still. Everybody is always learning how to grow. Your heart sings every day because your ancestors are thrilled with themselves, a.k.a. all of us. Just breathing is like a choir. And I have the presence of mind and the generosity of spirit to even be proud of the you that I was when you were reading this, back in capitalism, with all our fear and all of our scarcity-driven behavior, contradicting and cutting down our visionary words. Counterpoetics, right? I am proud of you for being queer. I am proud of you for staying present to the meaning of your beliefs and the consequences of your actions, even when they were crashing into each other every day. I am proud of you for letting the tide of your revolutionary heritage grind your fear of failure and lack to sand. I love you, the me that I was. This congregation has discerned a set of religious values Those are transcendence, compassion, community, courage, and transformation. And out of those values arose our mission. It's our common purpose. It guides our decision-making, leads our ministries and programs. We put it on our wall and we say it together every, every Sunday so that we more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. I invite you to integrate the laughter and the joy of the little ones into ourselves. To finish arriving, I invite you to close your eyes or soften your gaze. And just melt a little more into this moment. Invite you to send a note to a part of your body that's just a little extra tense this morning. Perhaps from gardening. And send a note that it's okay to relax. Turn your attention to your breath, that thing we sing about, the thing we write poems about, the thing we just feels right out of our reach. Can we breathe without Asking it to change. 
Can we breathe and just notice? Can we breathe while letting the events of the week and the month catch up? And find respite in this community. Can we melt just a little more? One of the things I love about Unitarian Universalist communities is that we are reminded weekly that we do none of this alone and that we work to build robust communities of people that can bear witness to our joys and our sorrows. I'm going to invite you, as you feel led, to come and light a candle for something that is sticking with you that is just so potent about your week. Maybe a sadness that you're holding or something that when you remember makes you chuckle. As we light candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart the members of our community who are ill or in sorrow and those who are celebrating joys, perhaps the ones that can't be here. I invite you to hold the silence at the end of the meditative time. Feel free to light a candle now.
Our reading today is an excerpt from Being Black, Zen and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace by Angel Kyoto Williams. Angel Kyoto Williams is a black American writer, activist, and ordained Zen priest. Contrary to popular belief, the prevailing religion of America isn't Christianity. It's individual materialism. It's a system that endorses mindless self-interest and urges us to look away from the suffering of everyone around us in favor of our own financial and material gain. If we take this position, it will never work out because the world is getting smaller. It's not the responsibility of our government to tend to the spirit. It is not even the responsibility of our spiritual guides. It is the responsibility of you and me. Politics, government, and democracy will always fail in this area because those areas all respond to numbers. Spiritual practice responds to our individual consciences, our morality, our hearts, and spirits. In order to take on that responsibility that we have to make up to each minute of every day and take full responsibility for the changes that we want to make in our lives and in our world. But we can't do that effectively if we haven't yet made peace with our own selves. We can take up no battles, 
philosophical, social, or otherwise, without first transcending the stories we make up in our minds about ourselves and our shortcomings, and also stories of others. Contrary to popular belief, the way to transformation in our lives is not to put on a heavy coat of armor and carry a thick shield. It's to put those things down. We have to be willing to expose our most tender areas and commit to setting aside anything and everything that puts a barrier between us and the world. That's the only way in which to allow our love and compassion to take their natural place as the source of action. Good morning, friends. Oh, you talk back. That's already great. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning and yesterday morning with the Earth Keepers and some friends talking about earth care and gardening and plants and all of the beauty that people have tended to over the history of this church. So it's a blessing to be here. Um, And greetings from New Orleans, where I'm born and raised and my family. And I uh, have to admit, I haven't gone to Texas much, but every time it's just so lovely. So a couple of years ago, and by a couple, I mean a a while ago, I sort of hung my hat on this interpretation of the world liturgy. Common among progressive faith communities, liturgy and the Greek uh, liturgia is often translated as the work of the people. So I kind of made my decision there, but there is different ways of interpreting that word. Namely, some people have said that it's translated to work for the people. But I had already hung my hat on the work of the people. So I'm working hard to make that translation work. And I do think it holds true. Part of the reason why I think that is that there's another Latin phrase that suggests that other church scholars saw truth in that interpretation of liturgy as the work of the people. That phrase is ora e labora, translated to pray and work. It's the motto of the Benedictines. So they were um, studiers, students of Benedict, who made an emphasis on having a balanced way of life, really having our work, our spiritual lives, our family, all in uh, manageable and sort of equitable order in our lives. He really did not like idleness. And so I can imagine part of that balance was making sure that free time was not in there. And it's really weird how his words manifest things because I don't know about you, but I have very little free time. And sometimes that encroaches on my time for prayer and reflection. But I think we'd all agree that this orientation to life, at least as originally intended, is something that we can kind of go along with, that it's important to have work and reflection and contemplation 
as part of our robust lives. And I think we'd also maybe agree that church is one of the really important places that provides that container to live into and to work towards that balance. Let's take a look at what are some common happenings that make up our congregations. Well, there's worship, like we're doing on Saturday mornings. There's pastoral care to one another. There's boards and committees to organize, plan, and document the governance of the church. There's stewardship to collect and order our treasures and their service outward. Sometimes we call this social justice work. And while all of this is labor, and the people who are on these committees, on these boards, doing all the things, know how much labor it takes to keep this community going, I wonder how often some or any of it is prayer. I've been going to this young adult group at the Methodist Church. And to be honest, they got me because they were reading Parable of the Sower. And so I said, oh, these are a different kind of Methodist. I can maybe <laughs> hang out with you all. And it has been such a space of that contemplation and prayer that I needed. This month, they're talking about grief. For them, it's the season of Lent. And this past Tuesday, we explored prayer as we were reading stories of Jesus in grief when Lazarus died and before he was raised from the dead and, and other stories where he's encouraging his disciples to pray. Prayer was kind of a thing we kind of just throw out when people are in grief, like, oh, have you prayed about it? This young adult group needed to really interrogate that idea because if we could just pray things into existence, then I think we'd be in less of this mess. <laughs> the young adult group collectively named prayer as more than just spirit in the, si in the sky Santa Claus that just kind of doles out things we want, and more of a practice of vulnerability, honesty, of bearing witness, of not being alone. In the group, we talked about how in prayer we get to be honest, sometimes about our needs, yearnings, and desires, not necessarily for problem solving, but just to be acknowledged as, as real, that what we are experiencing as humans are real. One person talked about learning not to gaslight themselves, which is when we talk ourselves out of this experience. Prayer is about being seen. I wonder how often some or any of what we're doing here is prayer. Part of my spiritual practice is excavating my religious heritage and being a composter, turning it into rich soil. <laughs> Part of that heritage is a family of generations of Catholics. That's, that's some stuff to really work with. <laughs> Y'all are so funny. <laughs> So for that reason, you know, and I really think if it got my grandmother through, certainly it has nutrition value for my spirit. And that's really what keeps me tethered when sometimes 
Catholic theology and, and yada yada are so just ridiculous. <laughs> but for that reason, I've held tight to the idea of a high Latin mass. Think Christmas Eve midnight service at St. Louis Cathedral in the middle of the French Quarter, one of the oldest still operating. Oh, it's elaborate. If you've ever been to a high mass, perhaps even in Latin, it's a world-building prayer. It is fabulously sensory and communicates so much. Even without words, I think about my grandmother sitting in a Latin mass and still knowing exactly what's going on. It's ornateness, the... the <laughs> The um, workout of the up, down, sit, kneel, sit, kneel, up, down, sit. (laughs) The incense, the elaborate organ music. And when I think about that and how everyone is in participating in this world-building prayer, I'm not sure we're doing enough in our Unitarian Universalist churches. We get bogged down with reacting to the systems of oppression that we're trying to survive, that we forget to be world builders, to collect the smells, the visual cues, and the sounds of the world we imagine. I love that letter from Alexis Pauline Gums because she's doing the work of fleshing out this world of putting flesh and muscles and blood and breath into these bones that we're working with. I often wonder how we let ourselves get lost in something akin to the world of a rosary mass. So upon researching this word rosary, I came to the Latin, Latin, I was apparently in a Latin mood this week. And the Latin word for for rosary is rosarium, and it points us to a translation that means a garden of prayers. That, for me, sounds a a lot like ora e labora. Sounds a lot like tending to a garden with song, with getting lost in the minutiae of the weeds. I wonder how often some or any of what we're doing here is prayer. The other gem I get from excavating my religious heritage is that in other liturgical or religious spaces, there's often a thin line between a sanctuary and a tabernacle. So the other part of my religious heritage is growing up Southern Baptist. And maybe some of you all were in those spaces in the 90s and learned the words to the song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. And the, the subtext of that song includes the words like holy and pure, and it has this idea of just beige walls. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, uh, no mistakes. I think about this word pure, free of blemish, free of chanting, free of colors, free of 
exaltation, free of spectacle. But other sanctuaries I visit are not like that. And some even call them a tabernacle. Tabernacle is a place where God lives. In Angkor Wat, a temple complex in Cambodia that I had the pleasure of visiting earlier this year, is both a place of worship and a tabernacle for the Buddha and Hindu deities. It's one of the largest ecumenical structures on the earth. A tabernacle. A home for the gods. A home for those values and principles we deem worthy enough to dedicate our lives to. I can't think of many other things we should be doing inside of these walls except for creating a home for anti-capitalism, for ecological healing, for racial and gender and sexual diversity. I can't think of many other things we ought to be doing than creating a home for connection. Many of us know that making a home is tender and prayerful work. Some of us who have children know that they start to have opinions about our house, (laughs) what's in it, what's for dinner, and we are stretched. (laughs) And through the however many years that they are with us of making a home for the people who darken those doorways, we, we become new people through that work of care. I wonder how many of us pray like that for connection and transformation. It's really good to hear that. At least sometimes we do here. When we pray for connection, we can't help but to get outside. When we pray for transformation, it it takes us outside of these walls. We can't help but notice how the trees shade our conversations and, and thusly think about caring for the trees. When we pray for alternatives to the profit motive, we can't help but to smell the rosemary bush more acutely. We can't help but to invite others to a meditation to contemplate the magic of native plant species that have survived and survived and survived and perhaps want to teach us about that work of surviving. And if we were truly creating a home for our values and praying like that, part of what I think it might mean is that every member of this church would be a member of Earth Keepers and see however small their participation as integral to this community. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. UU churches all over, would be shouting from the rooftops that our ability to fight for and be in solidarity with trans people, people with uteruses, black people, houseless friends, people living with addiction starts on the land. Eco-feminist and eco-womanist scholars, including the, the UUA's candidate for the next presidential office, Sophia Betancourt speaks clearly that the disposability, the exploitation, and the degradation of systems of human oppression have clear roots 
traceable roots and had developed out of practices of disconnection with the land and our natural world. They map almost right on to each other. So how then could we even begin to understand the gravity of what it means to be human with one another if we haven't wrestled with our place in the family of things? If we haven't studied how the soil feels under our vulnerable and supple feet or the experiential beauty of native dogwoods in bloom. Friends, we have spent way too long trying to be this manufactured understanding of good, trying to repent in front of man-made institutions who really couldn't care less. But our people and our planet are calling to us for connection and presence. Including, but ultimately bigger than legal structures, we can't tap into the liberatory imagination that's required of us without making the lands on which our congregation resides a tabernacle for our values. Where democracy thrives, where connection blossoms, and where transformation is the cover crop, the nitrogen fixture, the earthworms, the brown matter in the compost, where transformation is ever-present. The work of the people is to be iterating and experimenting towards a holistic and bold expression of liberation that might look like an exaltation, might look a little messy, might be a little unkept, but there, there, my friends, is order. So that every time we come to this land for worship or service or a committee meeting, we're probing and practicing justice with all parts of the living world. And that we recommit to the active, sensory, and engaging participation in beloved community. Some of us will be at the Capitol tomorrow, bearing witness to the evil that is trying to take so many rights away from our beloveds. I'd like to end with what I know about testifying to structures built to maintain oppression. I know that it is deeply disturbing and disconnecting work. It's unsettling to stand in the face of evil. I know that sometimes it feels like we're making progress and other times it feels like we are taking light years back. I know that people need pastoral care that connects them to their humanity, to the earth, to the physical materialism of our lives before, during, and after those moments of bravery. I know that it's Hard to stay grounded when we know how people are trying to undermine the dignity of people we love. And ultimately, I know that transforming systems built on oppression is where I have to learn to collaborate with God because we can truly not do it all. And so simultaneously, I'll pray for connection and transformation within myself and communities I love and for opportunities to be affected by the weather. 
to feel the sprinkle of the rain, the blusteriness of the wind. I'll work to build a world, I'll work to be a world builder where our values come alive and to rescue plants who need a new home. I'll collaborate with the caterpillars and the blue bonnets and the foxes to nurture a rich diversity of life and indigenous people who have the history of this land in their bones. And I'll rest when I lose focus on the liturgy. Friends, I invite you to join me in this sacred work. We don't know how necessary we each are. May it be so. Okay, please join me in the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The benediction is the remainder of this letter. But breathe just deep, because this is the message. We did it. We shifted the paradigm. We rewrote the meaning of life with our living. And this is how we did it. We let go, and then we got scared and held on, and then we let go again of everything that would shackle us to sameness, of our deeply held belief that our lives could be measured or disconnected from anything. We let go, we retaught ourselves to breathe the presence of the energy that we are that cannot be destroyed, but only transformed and transforming everything. Breathe deep, beloved, young, and frightened self, and then let go. You will hold on, so then let go again. With all the love and the sky and the land and the water, Lex, may it be so. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.